I don't know how many of you were, 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 were cursed um, to catch the Oscars last Sunday night. How many of you will admit to watching the Oscars? Hey, I'm raising my hand. Okay, there we go. Okay, Jan, good for you. Charles in the hospital and you're watching the Oscars. I cannot believe it. Okay. Anyway, as so often happens, the, the award for the best picture, of course, goes to a movie few have heard of and even fewer have seen, right? And I just think... Um, the, the best movie of 2015 got totally dissed, and of course, I'm talking about The Martian. Who has seen The Martian? Okay, now we're talking. Okay, now we got, now we got it going. And, it, and, and I'm about to share some things that if you haven't seen it, it's spoiler alert, and so too bad, you've had plenty of time, so you'll get over it. Okay, still a good movie. Of course, Matt Damon plays the part of an American astronaut. He's with a team of astronauts that land on Mars, and they kind of set up the first colony base to sort of explore Mars, as the astronauts once did uh, in 1969 when they landed on the moon. And the story kind of opens as they are on this colony collecting samples and just, you know, getting a lay of the land. They've set up a little, little, little base there, and there's a massive storm that comes in. And NASA tells them, you better get out of there. You better get back to the ship and take off because this is a humdinger. It's going to wipe everything out. And so as they're running and they're all, all these astronauts are trying to get back onto the ship... There's an accident that happens, and Matt Damon is seemingly killed by all this falling debris. Of course, you know what happens because they wouldn't kill Matt Damon. They wouldn't pay him $20 million to have him die in the opening scene, right? So anyway, but he's not really dead, but they think he's dead. They can't find him. They take off, and he awakes to find himself alone on Mars, and that ship is going back to Earth. And so the whole story is him trying to do two things. One, how do I get off of this red planet, okay, and... How do I survive? Because I'm going to be here months, probably years, before I can figure out a way off this place. And NASA figures out how to come get me. And one of the most poignant scenes is he realizes he has about a month's worth of food. And he's got to figure out, what do I do? And he has all these potatoes, okay, that were, that were part of his rations. And he knows nothing grows on Mars. And so he sets about creating this sort of laboratory, where he sets up the tarp and the tent, and he's got to figure out how to make water out of hydrogen and fire. Okay, do not try that at home, right? And he ends up ultimately uh, planting these potatoes in the ground. And, and, and let me ask you, how does he get them to grow? You can say it. Nobody wants to say it, okay? Steve Curio, who's a doctor, was in the first service, and he said it, okay? Stool, that's how it happens, okay? So he takes the waste from the porta potty and it's like these potatoes grow, and it's unbelievable. Now, Matt Damon is, is sowing and, and fertilizing and planting. Why? Because his life literally depended on it. Now, when we come to the end of 2 Corinthians 9, where Paul has been making an appeal for the Corinthians to finish taking up the collection that they had begun but had stopped, Paul's going to make this point. Just as Matt Damon, the Martians, planting and sowing was a matter of physical life and death, Paul's going to tell us that our spiritual sowing and planting is a matter of spiritual life and death. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 9 is, is where we're starting in verse 6. Remember, just in case you haven't been with us the last two weeks, Paul's talked about in his exhortation for the church in Corinth to generously support their starving brothers and sisters under persecution in Jerusalem. 
He's talked about what it means to give sacrificially, what it, gives to, uh, what it means to give proportionally. He's talked about how important plurality and accountability is when it comes to, to money. But here today, Paul kind of gives his coup de grace, his final argument, his closing statement. Why give? Okay, that's the title of this morning's sermon. Why give? Why generosity? At its most fundamental level, what happens between us and God when we live out the principle of generosity in every phase and aspect of our life? We'll see what Paul says. Verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9. The point, Paul says, is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Lord, um, once again, we're asking for ears to hear and eyes to see. For a subject that is so often um, uncomfortable for us even to hear about, much less to talk to one another about. But in fact, that's exactly what your word does. It speaks to us. And so as your people, we just say we don't have any capacity apart from the life-giving work of your Holy Spirit to receive this word and to make a home for it in our hearts. And so we're asking that you would do that supernaturally through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, here's the plan. We're going to look at the central metaphor or picture of generosity, and then we're going to talk about three blessings or three benefits that come from walking out this metaphor or picture that Paul provides, okay? Got it? Can we handle that? Even if you can't, we're, we're dumping in, okay? Here's the picture. Here's the central metaphor. We know this is it because guess what Paul says in verse 6? The point is this, right? So anytime the writer of Scripture says the point is this, we can be certain. The point is, in fact, this. It's like Paul's making a closing argument, and he's saying, now this I finally say. This is my final word on the matter. And here's the metaphor, the picture he gives us. Verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, now growing up in Tennessee... Um, I had a lot of friends who lived on farms, and if you live on a farm or lived on a farm, I'm about to offend you, okay? So just, just go with it, okay? But I got to tell you, I have a lot of traumatic 
memories of Green Acres, okay, and my life on the farm. So whether it was cow dung or flies or everything smells or the dogs that run around with three legs, you know, all the, you know, because they got hit by the tractor, whatever. But despite okay, my aversion to all things rural, even I understand Paul's agricultural axiom and picture here, right? And, and the idea is that in that time, um, they didn't have big combine machines and all those things. So, so the guy who was planting whatever the crop was had these two big bags on his shoulder full of seed. And he would go around sprinkling or throwing out the seed onto the soil. And Paul's just like, everybody understands that if you want a big crop, what do you have to do? Throw a lot of seed, okay? If you want an itty-bitty crop, just throw out itty-bitty seed, okay? <laughs> we all kind of got that, right? We all understand that basic principle. Now, what is Paul trying to tell us here in relationship to our lives where we live? So, first service, Vern Iverson was here. And Vern is not from Tallahassee. He's from another country called Iowa. Anyway, Vern grew up on a farm in Iowa where he farmed, what was it, what was it, what did he farm? Corn, okay, and, and so he, his family owned about a thousand acres, or a little over a thousand acres, and I went online and googled how much seed is, corn seed, for an acre of land in Iowa, okay, it's about $78, okay, which means that to seed a whole crop of corn for a farm that size is 80, 90, 100 Grand, okay, that's kind of a lot of money, right? That's a lot of money for seed, okay? For especially for something you're just going to quote unquote throw away and waste on the ground, okay? Now, what would we say about a farmer who bought a hundred grand of seed and looked at his seed and said, This is so valuable, this is cost so much, it's worth so much. I'm going to put that seed in my barn, and I'm just going to keep it there for the rest of my life. What would we say about that farmer? He's not really a farmer, right? Okay. He's a fool, okay? Now, think about this for a second. Think about the parallel. Because for, for Christian, what is your seed? And what is my seed? See, our seed is our stuff, our resources, our money, our possessions, our time, our gifts, all of it. And, and when we look at our lives, and when I talk about generosity, I don't just mean financial generosity. It could be how we use our time, our service, our gifts, how we invest in other people. But certainly, it's no less than financial. That's what Paul's point here is. When we look at our lives, if you look at your life, and I'll look at mine, and, and our lives are not marked by a fundamental generosity In all areas of our life, it's probably an indication of this. Ready? We have forgotten what our stuff is for. We've forgotten what it's for. You know, we've all been given a big bag of stuff, okay? All of our resources and time and money, and, and, and some of our bags are bigger than others, okay? That's not Paul's point here, okay? God has apportioned to all of us, according to his will and his measure, an allotment of, shall we call it, seed. And Paul says, 
if we, if we truly want to run at the heart of God and generosity, we have to remember what seed is for. It's not for keeping. It's for what? Sowing. Okay? So if you ever studied uh, the legend of Johnny Appleseed, okay? And Johnny Appleseed was actually a real person. He was rather strange, but that's a whole other story, okay? And the image of Johnny Appleseed was, he did what? He walked across America, and what was he doing? Just scattering seed, Okay? planting apple trees all across the fruited plain. And that's kind of the picture, okay, that Paul is, is painting here. He said, Christian, your life is a big bag of seed. All you have I've given to you. All I have I've entrusted to you. Everything that you have comes from my hand. And here's, and here's to be your posture in life. You are to walk around fundamentally with an impulse of generosity. I'm walking around serving with my gifts. I'm inviting people into my home. I'm volunteering my time. I'm giving my stuff away. I'm supporting the work of the church. I'm supporting missionaries like Sarah. I'm, I'm volunteering at the pregnancy center. I'm walking for life. I'm caring for special needs kids. I'm cutting my elderly neighbor's grass. See, generosity is not just what we do. Generosity is fundamentally about who we are. Okay? So that's the metaphor Paul provides us. And Paul says, sow your stuff generously. Okay? And for the one who doesn't sow generously, what does Jesus call that person? Remember, there's a guy who wanted to build bigger barns. And he said, soul, eat, rest, drink, be merry, for tomorrow I may die, I'm putting it all in the barn. And Jesus, what does he call that man? Fool. Fool. He had forgotten what his seed was for. And that's what Paul is driving out so generously. Now, we're going to look at three things that happen when you and I endeavor before the Lord to live lives of generosity, and I say that in the, in the biggest sense of the term of generosity, but particularly Paul is speaking about financially in this package. So there's three things that happen, okay? There's spiritual blessings, financial blessings, and people blessings, okay? So buckle up, here we go. Spiritual blessings, look at verse 7. Paul says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Folks, Paul wants to run at something right off the bat because he knows what our first question is oftentimes when we talk about money. What is our first question? What is it? Come on. How much? (laughs) Come on, Pastor Paul, just tell me how much. Let me fill in the, how many zeros on the check, okay? How much to send through the text? We do do text giving now. Anyway, nonetheless, just give me the bottom line. Paul knows this. Because, and oftentimes, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, oftentimes that betrays a fundamental disposition or attitude in our hearts, which is basically, come on, Pastor Paul, come on, Lord, just tell me, what, what is the line? Because I'm going to go up to the line, but I'm not going a step further. Okay? This far and no more. How far, 
really, you know what we're honestly saying when we say stuff like that? And, and I, this is me as well. What we're really saying is, God, I want to know how far to go before it really inconveniences me. Because when it really starts to inconvenience me, that's when it's serious. So just tell me, give me the bottom line. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Okay? You've got it all wrong. Because it's not fundamentally about amount. Now, understand, you've got to put this through the filter of what Paul talked about two chapters ago. He talks about generosity that's proportional and sacrificial. But here's what he says here. Not only is our generosity to be proportional to what we have and sacrificial, meaning give till it hurts, but he says it's also got to be purposeful. Okay, look at the text. He says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not, to, not reluctantly or under compulsion, has decided. That word, has decided, means to determine, to think through carefully, to arrive at a settled decision, to bring something to the Lord, to submit it to him, and to pray about it and to say, God, here is my seed. Now, here's what I'm asking, Lord. Not should I scatter it, but where should I scatter it? How much should I scatter? What's the best way to to scatter within the context of my life? Because here's the deal, folks. Giving is personal. However, it is never casual. It's always purposeful. It's always decided. And here's what I think happens. See, this reflects Paul saying, you know, I know you're bringing your stuff before the Lord and you're asking him, what do you do with it? And he says, and as that happens, okay, here's what I think happens. When you, when you and I bring our stuff and say, God, how do you want me to scatter seed? Who, how much, where, when, why, all those things. I think God begins to unite our hearts to the things that we are praying for. God begins to unite our heart to the things okay, that he has laid before us. And the result, Paul seems to say, is joy. There is joy. God stirs up excitement, enthusiasm, love for the recipient. And, and here is why being a cheerful giver is so important. Okay, here's why being a cheerful giver is so important. A lot of you know my wife, Susan, is the garage seller par excellence. Okay? She does her thing on Saturdays while I stay home and shepherd the children. Okay? Basically means I feed them donuts and they watch TV. Okay? But it's a, it's a glorious thing. But every now and then, every once in a while, I will go with Susan on a really big sale. Okay? Because she loves my company, no, she needs some muscle, okay? So I got to like, I'm the indentured servant that drives the car, loads the thing, okay? But actually, these things have kind of turned into to little mini date morning things, okay? And so we'll get up. Now, by the way, if you are up at 8 a.m. for garage sale, you are done, okay? Just stay in bed, okay? It's over for you, okay? 5.30 or nothing will do, okay? So we're up at 5.30, 5.45. I've got my, some of you are looking at me like, you have lost your mind. Anyway, so we get up. I have my, have my, Yeti full of, of Starbucks, all right? And I've got my pastry, got my Tom Clancy book, and we're driving around, and we're having fun, and we're enjoying each other. It's just, really, seriously, it's, 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 it's a cool time. I see what kind of bargains she's finding. But it so happens every time around 9.30 or 10, Susan senses what? It's, Paul's getting ready to tap out here, okay? He's got the glazed look on his face, okay? 
I'm ready to go home and wash off the garage funk. Do you know what I'm saying? If you've been to a garage sale, when you're done, you have some kind of funk on you or some kind of film. So I'm like, I've got to go home. And then variably she'll say, okay, all right, let's go home. I can see you're ready, okay, all right, all that. And I'll say, no, 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 no. I said I'd come. I said I'd come, okay, let's finish. Now, what's wrong with that? That's no good, right, ladies? This takes the joy all out of it if she thinks I'm there because I have to be there. She wants me there because I want to be there. Now, this is what Paul's saying. Joy in human relationship is not built on obligation. Okay? Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't times you have to make a decision and all this. That's not what I'm saying. But fundamentally, at its core, for human relationships to flourish, there has to be joy. Guys, we're made in God's image. And do you know why we're like that? It's because, ready? God's like that. See, it says that God loves a cheerful giver. This is why the Bible doesn't tell leaders to send out invoices to church members, okay? As tempting and easy as that would be. You know why? It would just ruin it. Not not just for us and not just for you. You know who it would ruin it for? God. You see, God is particularly glorified and honored when our souls delight in him. This is why time after time after time in the New Testament when the Israelites are bringing their sacrifices, what does God say? Don't want it. Don't. Don't even bother. Because you may be giving your gifts, but your what? Your heart is far, far from me. Guys, God's interested in your heart. God's interested in, in, in my heart. And that's why he says, God loves a cheerful giver. You may say, Pastor Paul, I'm not cheerful. Guys, go before the Lord. <laughs> Have you prayed about that? Ask him. God, say, God, wed my heart to these people here at Four Oaks. Wed my heart to what you're doing globally in missions. God, wed my heart to my neighbors who need help. God, wed my heart to whatever thing God has, has, has brought down the pike for you. And here's what happens. Hey, look here, back at the text. Here's what Paul says happens spiritually for us when we do that. Verse 7, it says, God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8 God is able to make all grace abound to you. That means lavishly, pressed down and overflowing. It says that you have all sufficiency. That word means contentment. Keep, keep, keep working through. He, he, you abound in every good work. Verse 9, he's quoting Psalm 112. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. What is Paul saying? He's saying, guys, when your heart is wed with God's heart, in joy, he pours out amazing spiritual blessing. He pours out his love, his grace, his mercy. He pours out good works. He gives you contentment. And if you're a good Bible-believing Christian, when you, think, when you read and hear stuff like that, your theological warning bells might go off. Why? Because you may say, Pastor Paul, that sounds awfully conditional. That sounds awfully works oriented. Are you telling me that God doesn't love me if I don't give, if I'm not generous? Wrong question. Okay, let me explain. 
parents, if you've got a prodigal child and a faithful child, okay, your prodigal child has dropped out of school, they've run away from home, okay, they started cheering for the Gators, sorry, Canelo's right there, okay, they, they, they follow a punk rock band across Europe on tour, okay, whatever your worst nightmare is for a prodigal child, that is them, but then you've got a faithful child, right? Um, they are walking with the Lord. They've got a heart inclined toward him. They're coming today to be baptized. Okay? They are just a joy to your heart. Here's the question. Do you stop loving the prodigal? No. Do you love them less? No. However, what's different? Their experience of your love is what is radically different. You see, when you're cut off as a prodigal child and you don't receive and experience and touch and taste and walk in the grace and love of your parents, that is short-circuited in your life. You are not experiencing the full enjoyment and joy and blessings of being in relationship with them versus if you're a child walking in obedience and joy and faith and you are experiencing the grace of your parents in a whole new way. Guys, that's what Paul means here. He's saying, guys, if you're not generous, it's, it's, it's hurt, it hurts your soul. You're not receiving and experiencing the full measure of God's love apart from cheerful generosity and walking in faith. Here's what John MacArthur says, and if he says it, 98.5% chance it's right, okay? So here's what he says. He says, he loves us. That's true for everyone. But there is a special love that God gives to those reserved to committed, generous giving. And here's what I think he means, a special affection. Guys, just like Eric Little in Chariots of Fire, what did he say? When I run, I what? I feel his pleasure. Okay, That's what Paul's saying. When you give, when you are generous, you feel the pleasure of God. So pray for it. Run in it. God will bless you spiritually. All right, second, second benefit, second blessing. Here's where we're going to be tested a little bit. Okay, we ready? Ready to be tested. Okay, Finan- not just spiritual blessing, but financial blessing. Now, backdrop, as good conservative, gospel-driven, Christ-centered Christians and churches, okay, we have rightly spoken directly into prosperity and health and wellness theology of such people as Joel Osteen or Creflo Dollar. And and by the way, if your pastor's name is Dollar, that's probably a good indication that you need to think about that. What is prosperity theology? Fundamentally, what does it say? Name it, claim it. I'm giving to get rich. God wants me to be wealthy. God wants you to be wealthy. If I give my entire IRA to the big-haired woman on TBN, right, God will bless me financially. Your best life now theology, okay? And if you've got the Joel Osteen board game, repent and give it as a white Christmas gift this year, right? And guys, by the way, this, in all seriousness, this theology has just ravaged Christian communities where? Where people are the poorest, okay? South America, Africa, where incredible revival is going on, by the way, but, but prosperity theology twists it. It's a distortion of the gospel of grace. And so let me hear me loud and clear. We are right to speak 
right into that because it's contrary to the gospel. However, however, Paul does say that there are two things that happen for us materially when we are generous. Okay, and the first is in verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says, He who plies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. Okay, what's Paul saying? God will take care of you. A lot of times we have a fear of generosity that if I give, okay, and that may not just be financially, okay, if I call my family into this thing, if we serve in this way, if we, if we mark off our commitments to this particular thing, for this, I'm going to lose out. It's going to, I'm going to be inconvenienced. I'm going to be hurt. I'm not going to have enough money. Whatever that temptation is for you, Paul says, God's got this. He will give you food to eat. It may not be everything you want, but it most certainly will be everything you need. That's a promise. Okay? That's the first thing God does. Okay? Um, I firmly believe if, God, if you are faithful and generous in your giving, God will meet your needs. Okay? There's story after story after story we could tell about how God does that. Okay? At the last minute, at, I mean, all, all over the place in this church. And by the way, guys, if you're a part of this church family, God is meeting these needs through each other like the Wilsons all the time. All the time. Here's the second thing he does, though. And this is where we need to stretch our theological muscles for just a minute. Look at verse 10 and 11 again. He says that he will multiply your seed. He will increase your harvest. Now look in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way. As Paul is talking about finances there, okay, I want to say, I want to say this. Okay, I want to distinguish between Paul and Joel Osteen. What's the difference? Besides the hair, okay? Besides the hair, right? Guys, prosperity, health, and wellness teaching says if you give generously, God will make you rich because God wants you rich. Biblical theology says if you give generously, God will allow material blessings to flow your way for what reason? To be even more generous. Okay, the seed that is given to the farmer even if it's an abundance of seed, it's meant to do what? Be scattered right back on the field. Look at verse 11. This is, Paul says it very clearly. You will be enriched in every way to what? To be generous in every way. See, biblical theology says, oh yeah, God will bless your generosity and he will cause it to overflow for this reason. Not to make you rich, okay? But so that you can continue to bless others. Now, now no offense, you know, we have a bunch of people here who work at FSU Credit Union where they make banking a pleasure, okay? And they own my car, so God bless them, okay? Now, I made this illustration in the first service and they all corrected me, we are not a bank, we're what? A credit union, okay? So our FSU Credit Union folks are good. But let me hit on the bankers for a second, okay? What is the purpose of a bank, What's the purpose of a bank? See, Keith Hayes smiling at me, right? You're not a bank, right, Keith? No, not a bank. No, 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 okay? Guys, the, the purpose of a banker is to make money for the bank, okay? Yes, they extend loans, but it's not out of the goodness of their hearts, right? 
It's to accrue interest and build up their portfolio. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a criticism. But guys, we are not bankers. We are stewards. And that is something fundamentally different. See, a goal of a banker is to help the bank accrue as much wealth as possible. A steward's goal is just to be the middleman. I'm receiving from the master, and I'm figuring out where it's got to go. It's got to go here. It's got to go there. The steward eats. Okay? The steward sleeps. Steward has clothes. <laughs> I mean, we're not, this is not a diatribe against those things. It's just saying fundamentally, our mindset as 21st century Americans is oftentimes to accrue okay, versus to sow. And so, guys, you know, we denounce prosperity theology, and we ought to and need to. But, guys, sometimes we can be functional prosperity theologians. And what do I mean? Because when you get a raise, when you get a bonus, when you get an unexpected blessing, what are you often tempted first to do? What is it? Okay, can I just have personal disclosure? Because none of you are going to answer right now, okay? All right. What am I going to do with that? Where am I going to spend it? Where are we going? What are we buying? What's, you know, guys, and that's just human nature. It's human nature. It's human nature to want to increase the level of your living in proportion to what you make. That's the American way. And guys, that is not, and and by the way, um, that's a principle. I don't know how it applies to your life. I'm not telling you how much is enough or how much you should let this, that's that's not what this is about. It's simply to say, that's not how Paul thinks about it. Paul wants to say, what is our first impulse when God brings material blessing our way? As you know, Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church in, in California, has, you know, he's received criticism for some of his, his theology light stuff he does. And, but let me just tell you something, okay? When it comes to personal integrity and finances and prosperity, Rick Warren is the real deal. When he and Kay were first married, or in their marriage, they made a goal. And that goal was, every year of our marriage, we're going to try to increase our giving by one percentage. Okay, one percentage point. Let me say, oh, come on. That's, what is that? Guys, you know how many books Rick Warren has sold, right? Okay, we all understand that. <laughs> Millions, okay? He made a commitment a long, long time ago when he didn't have any money. Um, I am not going to live proportionally to the size of my income. I'm going to give in order to sow and to bless the kingdom. So as he's increased his giving, one, they live in the same house they lived in all those years. Okay? He has given all his money back that he's earned from the church. He doesn't take a salary. He's paid back his salary. And they give about 91% of their income to charity, the work of the church, global missions, whatever. Because some of you are probably thinking, well, Pastor Paul, that's, it's easy to be generous when you bring in millions, right? No, it's not. You think it's easy? Then everybody would be doing it. It's not easy. Have you found it easier to be more generous as your income increases? I haven't. I haven't found it easier at all. I can personally testify that just because our income has raised from 25 years of marriage doesn't mean our generosity have. 
Doesn't mean our sacrifice has, not necessarily. Because I'm not trying to send you on a guilt trip. I'm not the judge and jury, and neither is Paul, by the way, to determine how much you need to live on, how much is too much. Guys, that is so contextual. That's so situational. That's not, that, that, that's not even what we're talking about. But I am confident that we can say biblically from this text, more material blessings are to mean, first and foremost, more blessings to others. That is just fundamentally clear. Guys, remember the church in Corinth was wealthy. Wealthier probably than almost any church Paul ministered to. They were being outgiven by the Macedonians. Paul says, no, no, God's blessed you to be generous. Another quote from MacArthur. This is really good. The reason God gives it back to you with such overflowing generosity is so you can use it to do more good deeds. That's the thing. It's not to consume it on your own desire. You will be given by God all you need to meet the demands of your generous heart so that you are able to do every good deed you desire to do. God will just replenish your supply. Now, this is great. When God finds a giver, a generous giver, he sets an unusual element of his affection on that generous giver and keeps replenishing in abundance because he knows the heart of a giver is going to continue to give. Brooks, let it be for us. As your pastor, let me say, let it be for me. Let it be for me. Last thing, last blessing, we're done. It just, this was very quick. There are spiritual blessings, there are financial blessings, and here's the good stuff. Guys, there are people blessings. Hey, look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. In the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Because here's what Paul's talking about. Biblical generosity is not nebulous generosity, okay? Where you send your name off to a nameless franchise or a nameless organization or a nameless, faceless ministry or where you're in line at Whole Foods or Goodwill and they, what do they ask you? Well, you? Do you want to round up to give to what? And you have no idea what you're giving to or where it's going or, or if it's even true, okay? That's uh, a little cynical, I know, okay? Because biblical generosity is not nebulous generosity. See, the Corinthians knew who they were giving to. The Corinthians knew who their leaders were who were dispensing these funds, which, which, which opens a vista for something really cool. Guys, the Corinthians got to see their generosity in action. You may ask why all the time we're doing what Pastor Josh did a minute ago. We're highlighting this and highlighting that and what you're involved in and what your generosity does. Because, guys, that's, that's what cultivates joy and the heart of a generous giver, getting to see our generosity in action. And I'm going to say this, not because I'm a pastor, but I'm a pastor because I, one of the reasons I'm a pastor is because I believe what I'm about to say. I believe the most impactful, strategic, biblical, joyful, and exhilarating kind of generosity and giving is to the mission of God, to his local church, to missionaries, to church planning, to, 
to the needs of the body of Christ. Why? Why do I believe that? Because there's something incredibly joyful about tapping into something bigger than ourselves. That we get to see the gospel impact and change people's lives right here through our gospel partners, through our church plants, through our community efforts with people like the Women's Pregnancy Center. And Paul says, here's what's really cool. Okay, here's what's really cool. We get to witness their thanksgiving to God. Guys, that is one of the most awesome aspects of giving, is seeing other people's joy through your generosity, which increases your joy. Because we had, I'll close with this, last week we we had a fellowship group, and we were talking about um, this sermon, or this, or this, or these texts in this passage that we preached through last week, and and people were sharing about how their lives had been impacted by generosity, and it was it was an emotional moment, but a particular um, family shared kind of their story of generosity and how God had led them to be generous to people in their lives over the course of their marriage and family. And as you saw their emotion and the tears that began to well up, you realized their greatest joy is in seeing the overflow of thanksgiving that has resulted to God through their generosity. And they were just a steward. They were just a steward. And guys, that's, Paul says, that's what it's all about. And when he says in verse 15, and this is the last thing we'll say, Paul says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul's not talking about money there. He's talking about Jesus. His Corinthians, when, when you get in touch with the inexpressible gift of God in the person of Jesus Christ, your heart overflows with joy and generosity. Why is God particularly glorified through our generosity? I'll tell you why. Because when we give, we are saying, Jesus is my greatest treasure. He is better than anything that I would store up in the barn in this life. He's greater, he's more valuable, he's more precious. Now, this is what baptism is about. Not a better thing to do than end this series as part of 2 Corinthians with baptism. Why? Because the people who are presenting themselves for baptism are saying, Jesus is my greatest treasure. Jesus, who was rich, became poor for me. And because of that, I get to receive his mercy and grace. So guys, as we get to witness this today, pray that God would renew your own heart and joy through the generosity of the gospel of grace. Let's pray.